We've been told for so long that the bees were disappearing. But now, when I see them, well, each time is like a little gift. And do you remember the last time you saw bees? In the orchards, I think. It appears the areas of your brain that had suffered varying levels of atrophy have, in a sense, rebuilt themselves. And this happened very quickly overnight. Anything else I can get for you? actually here looking for someone. My brother Colin. He was in town about a week ago. Do you know where Cruxmont is? There is nothing in Cruxmont that anyone has ever wanted to find except for plum wine and fruit pies. You shouldn't have come here. Miss Chow, leave, just leave! Colin! Don't mind Cruxmont. Hello, listener. This show contains strong language and upsetting imagery that may be sensitive for some listeners. We invite you to listen with care, but listen closely, as you will discover that Green Man is a poignant, life-affirming, and even uplifting story. Its resolution is not what it seems. Chapter 2 Rayo ran like he did when he fled the overturned van, only slower. No longer panicked, but still fueled by fear of being caught. His fear sweat had dried, and he could smell himself even over the tree sap that stained the length of his orange prison jumpsuit, along with dark patches of blood. He didn't know if the blood was his or somebody else's. He didn't want to think about it right now. His right side ached from his shoulder to his hip. His right cheek and eye had swollen, so much it was hard to see. But he could still run, and he had to move. The chains on his wrist could wait. He held the branch trimmer tightly in his left hand and ran, channeling his inner wolf, looping, focused, unafraid. Lots of deer trails, no roads, no off-road ATV or motorcycle track. He kept to the thickest part of the forest, the deepest green. He'd been keeping his pace for an hour, maybe. Then, up ahead, a postage stamp clearing. A hunter's cabin. More like a shack. A dilapidated outhouse 30 feet away that now housed a wasp nest between the rotting boards. Rayo stopped and listened. Nothing. Just the sounds of nature rustling leaves and tapping of a woodpecker and chattering squirrel. Rayo sniffed the air the way an animal would even though he knew he didn't possess the kind of olfactory receptors that could give him the information he needed. Like, was anybody out here? Any other human? He gripped the branch trimmer in both hands, ready. He was no woodland animal, but he used the paltry human senses that he did have to the best of his ability. No movement, no scent of wood smoke. He peered closer, a thin layer of dirt and leaves on the steps to the cabin olive-drab green molding coating the exposed boards, eating the cabin from the outside in. No fresh footprints leading from the outhouse to the cabin. The vehicle tracks out front had been made when the dirt was mud, like after the rain. They were pitted and dried. It hadn't rained for nearly a month. Alrighty then. Rayo walked stiffly up the steps to the porch fronting the entire cabin. The door was unlocked, flimsy. Why bother locking something that anybody could kick open? Somebody wanted to break in, they would. Rayo would have. The door creaked open when he gave it a push. He stood in the open doorway. A single room. 
bunk bed frames and moldy mattresses, a table and three rickety mismatched chairs, cupboards hung on the wall, a plastic trash bag nailed over the one window, a couple of old steamer trunks, no running water, no septic, no electricity, your basic hunter's layover. Nobody had been there for a while, maybe not since last deer hunting season. Rayo collapsed into a sitting position on the porch steps and took the time he needed to snap off the rest of his chains and the shackles around his ankles and wrists with the branch trimmer. He busted the blade, but the tool had served its purpose. He limped over to the outhouse and, ducking the wasp, dumped the chains, the shackles, and the broken branch trimmer down to the muck of the commode. He figured that would throw off the tracker dogs, buy him some time. He stood there, weaving on his feet, going over what happened in his head. The transport van hadn't hit anything, no impact. Hadn't sideswiped anything either. Hadn't blown a tire, he would have heard it. He must have swerved to avoid something on the road. Maybe a deer, maybe a stalled vehicle. Maybe some jackass trying to sprint across the highway. Rayo supposed it didn't matter now. Whatever it was, what happened had happened and it sure as hell hadn't been his fault. The judge would load time on his sentence because he'd made a run for it. He could claim he'd been dazed and shocked, which he supposed he had been. He fled like a trapped animal through the gap in the hedge. He hoped the stink bomb Arcady was okay. Hoped his body fat acted to cushion his bones and internal organs. Fat had to be good for something other than heart disease. Rayo shrugged exaggeratedly, like he was drunk. No point in looking backwards now. Back in the cabin, he found half a dozen water bottles stacked in a corner, the big ones, like water delivery services carried on a truck. He figured gallon plastic water bottles would be stolen. Who would walk off with one of these hefty suckers? He found matches, a couple cans of chili, and a duffel bag full of moldy garments, hunter's gear. Probably someone's long forgotten change of clothes. A bar of soap, a half tube antiseptic cream, an old titty magazine, a roll of duct tape, no weapons, no guns, knives, or bows. Yeah, well, he didn't expect to find an armory in the middle of nowhere. But he did find some steel cutlery, a steak knife, a can opener, and a pronged cooking fork. It was something. Wouldn't mean shit if he was confronted by a posse member carrying a rifle or a handgun, but better than nothing. Now was the time to assess the extent of his injuries. That meant he had to look closely at his reflection in the cracked medicine cabinet mirror. Not something he liked to do. Avoided it when he could. He perfected a way to blur his vision when he brushed his teeth or washed his face at the tiny basin in the cell he shared with Arcady. He didn't like to look at the visible dent in his skull near his hairline. A sinister-looking crease, one that mapped a fracture that had sent slivers of bone into his brain. Stove in. That's what the police report had said. Stove in with a lead pipe years ago by an asshole bully in the boys' group home who called himself Mongo. Dead now, shot in the chest during a drive-by, bled out in the gutter, ragged fingernails clawing at the cement. Rayo watched the whole thing from his cot on the second floor. Gave Rayo the trouble of killing him later when he recovered from his near-fatal brain injury. Rayo got headaches a lot, seizures sometimes, He'd lost most of his memory before Mongo slammed the pipe into his skull. But he figured most of what had happened in his earlier life wasn't worth remembering anyway. Otherwise, he wouldn't have spent his formative years in either juvie or a boy's group home. Couldn't read much. He'd lost the mental dexterity to decipher words without a hell of a lot of effort. But maybe he'd never had much reading ability. He didn't remember. 
The prison doctor had checked the box semi-illiterate on his admit form, but Rayo got by with sounding out letters and mouthing the words. Bad with numbers too, but he memorized his prisoner ID without any problem. Colors. Now those were different for his damaged brain. Those were as vivid as the electric neon kaleidoscope, especially shades of green. Rayo kept his brown hair buzz cut short so the dent in his skull was visible for all to see. Scars and tats were currency inside. The more the merrier. A visual roadmap leading to what the prisoner counselor called the path of the recidivist. Yeah? What the hell did she know? Don't fuck with me was what the stove in Scar said. I'm still standing, motherfuckers. The other guy isn't, which was technically true. Ray was naturally lean, muscular by intent. He liked lifting iron, not super heavyweights, mostly lighter weights with high reps. Didn't bulk him up, but made him as hard as stone, which in his opinion was part of the reason he survived the crash. He stripped naked while he heated a pan of water on an old propane-fueled Coleman stove. He washed himself gingerly with an old rag and the moldy bar of soap. Not as bad as it could have been. Deep bruising, mostly. A bunch of scrapes and scratches, some deep enough requiring the careful application of antiseptic cream, duct tape, to hold the edges together. But nothing broke as far as he could tell. And seeing as he was still on his feet and functioning, no internal injuries, or at least not so bad to kill him outright. That was something. He turned around, exposing his broad, pale back to the mirror so he could look at the tattoo there, like he always did. He marveled at it. It was a face, an image that stretched from the top knob of his vertebrae across the expanse of his shoulder blades and down to the small of his back. Incredibly detailed, the work of an artist. He didn't remember where or when he had it done, but it must have taken weeks maybe months of tattoo sessions. It was completely green, but a variety of both subtle and vivid shades, not an inch of faded tat ink. The tattoo depicted a human face made up of leaves from trees and shrubs, ferns for the hair, and sharp bladed holly leaves for the chin. The face belonged to an ageless man, bearded like a Viking. If a Viking had had an array of leaves for a beard, eyes open, but not quite humanized, not quite animalized either. The impassive, leafy face of an axe-welding forest dweller that had gone native and had become one with the flora. Half man, half tree. Rayo flexed his trapezius muscles and watched the veined cheeks of the green face expand and retract. His tat was no fanged two-headed snake or a fire-breathing dragon, but it scared the shit out of the other inmates. Before he got assigned a two-man cell with Arcady, back when he shared a pen with a dozen other inmates, He'd slept with his face to the wall, naked to the waist without a blanket, back fully exposed, letting the primordial face keep watch. Hey there, this is Justin Bartha. I made a funny new podcast, King of the Egg Cream. It has the greatest cast in the history of podcasts with actors like Louis Black. I'm torn by my feelings for two women. Bobby Cannavale. You can eat it, or if someone hits you, you can put it on your cut. Melanie Linsky. I wonder what these marvelous things are that look just like boiled chicken feet. Jason Ritter. I can break things and pick locks and kill people. Michael Stuhlbarg. The whole point is to inspire people that they should make themselves better. Ari Grainer. No, don't whet its appetite. What are you, an idiot? Me, Justin Martha. That's not just any egg cream, that's a Lemke's special. And all narrated by the hilarious Richard Kind. This is the story of Harry Dalowitz. And how he rose from nothing to become New York's King of the Egg Cream. 
So if you like funny true stories, come listen to King of the Egg Cream, available wherever you get your podcasts. No one would dare try to shank him from behind with that face staring at them. And no one ever did. The one time he got shivved, the ship for brains came at him from the front. In the mirror, his eyes locked eyes with those in the face on his back, or at least it seemed like it. The eyes were almost expressionless, like a predator's. You got my back? Rayo asked. A dumb joke line he never muttered aloud, at least not while anybody could hear him. The other cons would think he was crazier than they already did. No reply. Rayo didn't expect one. He turned away from the mirror, and the reality sank in, like a stone in a pond. He was free. For a while, at least. He grinned. Well, fuck me. Rayo didn't have a wristwatch, but by the time he left the cabin, the sun was directly overhead, so about noon. He spent more time there than he would have liked to, but since he couldn't hear the approach of Bane tracking dogs or the buzzing whine of a helicopter overhead, it was all good. He'd eaten two cans of chili, which he'd warmed in their cans on the Coleman stove. Drank a lot of water, too. Important to stay hydrated. He stripped off his prison gear, right down to the shivvies and socks, and dumped everything into the outhouse pit. He'd used a tree branch to prod everything under the muck. Important not to leave any sign that he'd been there. He knew he couldn't fool the dogs, but human trackers wouldn't know anyone had been in the cabin recently unless they'd send in a forensics team. Unlikely. He'd found thermal underwear, old sweat stains in the pits and around the collar, but clean and still smelling of bleach, and a pair of mismatched wool socks, camouflage cargo pants, and Hunter's green flannel shirt, a faded wool sweater, and an old parka that approximated juniper green on the color wheel. The pockets were torn on the coat, and the zipper was coming loose, but it still zipped. The boots were the best find. They'd been shoved under a bunk bed and forgotten. The color of fawn, more construction boots than hunter's gear, but pretty new, and they fit real good. The shoelaces had rotted and broke off when he tried to lace them up, but duct tape worked fine to secure them to his ankles. No belt, but discarded rifle strap kept the cargo pants at waist level. He stuck his cutlery weapons in his pockets and stuffed an old knapsack full of odds and ends to take along with him. A plastic water bottle, extra underwear, a handful of power bars he'd found in the back of a cupboard, along with the antiseptic cream, the duct tape, and the matches. He peeled an old wool blanket off of one of the bunks and commandeered a plastic inflatable pillow the kind people took onto planes so that they could sleep sitting up. Figured it might come in handy for something. Alrighty then. No compass, but he didn't need one. The scene of the accident and the location of the old brick prison were to the south. The new prison was to the north. East would take him toward the city. West meant a lot of little towns or hamlets, but mostly woods. Rayo didn't have a plan. How could he? All he wanted to do was prolong his freedom. That was his short-term goal. He eventually knew they'd find that his helter-skelter flight had ended on the logging road. Maybe they figured he'd hitched a ride. Seeing there's no report of a carjacking in the area, maybe they'd trace him to the old truck and to the diner. But maybe not. He had no idea how much manpower they'd muster to track him down, if he was even worth searching for. Rayo figured someone like him didn't raid a full-scale manhunt. Odds were he'd surface eventually, just like a fox cornered in a barn. So maybe they were just waiting for a reported sighting. Some trooper expending no more energy than it took to sit in his Tahoe, yawning, 
sipping coffee from a paper cup while listening to a service radio, expecting, eventually, a call about a man hiding in a shed or something. Rayo didn't know, not for sure. Northwest was his best bet, he figured. A lot of forested land and eventually the Canadian border, one step at a time. He paced himself, no more running. He walked steadily, purposely. The boots were comfortable and waterproof, which allowed him to wade across shallow streams. He soaked in the beauty all around him, saving it all up in his head in case he never saw this green again. The sun on his face felt like the cupped hands of God, warm and gentle. As the sun set, he stopped for the night, no point stumbling around in the dark in the forest. He made camp in the embrace of a hollowed-out log. He had matches, but he couldn't risk a fire. The temperature dropped like a stone, but he was warm enough, wrapped in his wool blanket, his head on his inflatable pillow. He munched on the stale power bars while lying on his back, watching the stars well into the night. His anxiety vanished completely with the darkness. He couldn't imagine that the searchers were trying to follow his trail with flashlights or torches or whatever. It wasn't like he was Frankenstein's monster or some serial killer. He was just some guy doing 20 years for manslaughter and he already served eight with no strikes against him while inside. Rayo kept to himself, as he'd always done since he entered the foster system, which was a hop, skip, and a jump to the penal system. No joke. Best sleep he'd had in years. Deep, dreamless. He didn't move, so he never rolled onto his bruises or lacerations. Pain-free. No stench of Arcadia in the bottom bunk. Only the deep scent of fresh pine and mist. He opened his eyes, blinking at the sun's yellow-orange rays fragmenting through the trees on the horizon like through a prism, nature's prism. A white-tailed deer and her twin fawns stepped into a clearing, then, sensing his presence, flitted away. A hawk circled overhead. He sat up, stiff and hungry, but more alive than he'd ever been, and grateful for this time, however long it would be. Fueled by power bars, Rail walked on, west-northwest. He was starting to think, to hope, that no one was coming after him, but no sense speculating. Whatever was going to happen would happen, eventually. It was mid-afternoon, about the time the shadows of the trees started to stretch across the ground, when he saw the kid. He stopped short, sucked in his breath, and froze in his tracks. The kid was a boy, maybe eight or nine, 20 yards ahead, sitting on his haunches, wearing only filthy pajama bottoms. Barefoot, his knees pulled up to his skinny chest. He had a blanket wrapped tight around his shoulders, but he was still shivering badly. A heavy shackle attached to a long chain encircled on a bare ankle. Not the kind of shackle they used at the prison. The kind of shackle traveling circuses used for a full-grown bear. The kid's hair was shoulder-length and dirtied by dried mud and twigs. Eyes as wide as saucers, locked on Rayo nostrils twitching like a prey animal. The only bare skin showing on his dirty face was the tracks from his tears and snot. What the fuck? Rayo stared at the kid. The kid stared at Rayo. A trap was Rayo's first thought. Some kind of fucking trap. A boy as bait. He didn't move. Stood stock still like he'd stepped in a field of landmines. He visually scanned the area, but didn't see anyone or hear anyone. Hunters could make themselves invisible. But Rayo had feral instincts. He didn't sense anyone else in the area, but still he didn't move. Then, realization hit him. 
dread swept through him. He'd been seen, spotted. His location could be pinpointed. Whatever lead he'd gained from lucking out at this roadside diner and his departure point had been lost. The searchers would deploy from this spot and they'd be on top of him in no time. No time at all. Unless he killed the kid. Snapping that spinally neck would take all of three seconds. Nearly painless. End of complication. Rayo was rapidly considering all his options when the boy dropped his gaze and turned slightly, moving as if Rayo weren't there and he meant to draw his blanket tighter around his shoulders. The boy used the blanket as a cover to point at something, insistent, like a warning, stabbing at the blanket with his skinny index finger. Rayo visually followed the tip of the pointed finger like he would a laser beam. Okay, he saw it. A game camera mounted on a tree branch, concealed among the leaves, the kind that fed the signal to a smartphone, like a doorbell monitor. The kid was warning him. Something cracked in Rayo's chest. Some rusted-over switch had been thrown like a circuit breaker. Empathy, maybe. The boy was a prisoner, like he'd been, only worse. The state wasn't holding him here. Some sadist was. If the kid wasn't murdered outright by his captor, he sure as shit would die of exposure. Rayo's legs suddenly felt heavy. The muscles across his chest felt tight, a rock in a hard place. Or on the other hand, maybe an opportunity. Rayo dipped his chin slightly, acknowledging that he'd heeded the warning before he backed away. The boy saw him out of the corner of his eye, but still pretended he was alone. Rayo darted back into the woods, circling around and coming up behind the tree with the mounted camera. He scaled the trunk in seconds, straddling the branch. He studied the camera, no audio capacity. That was good, and the mount was half-assed. The asshole who'd installed it had actually screwed the mount directly into the tree branch. Rayo's first impulse was to smash the fucking thing, but that would alert whoever might be watching. Taking care not to expose his fingers to the lens, Rayo used his fingertips to unscrew the sap-caked screws while holding the camera stationary from above. He glanced down at the kid. The kid wasn't looking up. He was staring off into the woods, shivering, teeth chattering, as if Rayo wasn't there. Good. Rayo slowly let go of the camera. It teetered a bit, then fell forward onto its lens, naturally, like it had come loose on its own accord. Whoever was watching, if anyone was, all he would be able to see would be a close-up of tree bark and maybe a sliver of the ground below. Rayo climbed down, being careful to avoid the patch of ground directly below the camera. He stopped five feet away from the boy in order to get a closer look at both the captive and the situation. The chain attached to the shackle was maybe 20 feet long, enough slack to reach a small stream, so the kid had access to water at least. From the looks of it, the kid buried his trash, didn't want to attract wildlife, especially wolves or bears. Rayo could smell urine, but that stench was hard to hide even if you buried your piss under a foot of dirt. Rayo wondered if the kid was mad, like crazy mad, if his parents had left him out of desperation. Nah, that was bullshit. Good people wouldn't do something like this. Maybe the kid was a victim of the local bullies from his school. A lot of possibilities, none of them good. Hello, whispered the boy, a child's voice, hoarse from the cold. Rayo looked down into bright, intelligent eyes that seemed shockingly familiar. He almost felt like he was back in the boy's group home again, and a fearful new fish had caught his gaze and held it.
Green Man, created by Cassie Wells and Dave Beasley, starring Scoot McNary. Post-production sound by Joe Morales and Elftree Studio, a Haywood production. Hi, it's Jack Fallahy, and I play Frank in the new Realm podcast, Blood Forest. Both as a performer, as an audience member, I was drawn to Blood Forest because not only does it have this spooky, compelling werewolf story at its heart, but it has this rich cast of characters. You see everyone trying to navigate their own problems and the strife of everyday life, and that's sort of railroaded by by this mystical, magical thing that is haunting the town. And you get to see everyone sort of react and how their individual experiences influence how they navigate this horrible thing that's happening. I mean, I like it as a fan of podcasts because you're taken into all of these different worlds and the performances and the soundscape and engineering is sort of all that you have to rely on, which I think as both a performer and audience member is quite magical and haunting. Blood Forest is available wherever you get your podcasts. Make sure to subscribe so you don't miss this incredible story.